0: Blessed New Year, uh, it's always such a joy to be able to come together to worship. Yesterday was our uh, watch night service. We came together to recount God's goodness and our hearts are filled with thanksgiving. And today, the first day of the year, we come to worship God. You know, I believe uh, these are ways of uh, rhythms of grace or spiritual disciplines. Time we set aside to recount God's goodness so that you no know, our lives don't just go on and on. Uh, being busy for this and that. But at uh, significant times, like the end of the year, the first day of the year, we, we take time to come before God, to turn back to Him. And I believe in this way, uh, we can consecrate ourselves, uh, our lives, our church into, onto Him. So this year, uh, last night I shared, right, our focus in 2023 is on outreach, uh, especially given our new neighbourhood. And really, it's about retelling the greatest love story ever told. From January to April, we're going to look at all the Old Testament, significant events in the Old Testament, to see the story of God and how that is written into our lives. And so today is the first uh, message of the year. we we'll look at Colossians 1, 28. Uh, Paul tells us the one goal of his life. And let this be a reminder for us. Let us pray. Father, even as we open your word, I pray for Holy Spirit to convict our hearts to truly understand the greatest love story ever told, that Christ will be lifted up and you glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you take up a newspaper in 1809, what is the headlines? Anybody know? Napoleon Bonaparte, Emperor of France, conquering Austria. And then he would go on to annex the whole land mass of modern-day uh, Bosnia, Slovenia, Croatia. You know, in that year, 1809, who else, who was born? In France, it was Louis Braille. You know, the person who invented the Braille reading. In Germany, Felix Mendelssohn, the well-known composer. In the UK, four-time Prime Minister William Gladstone, and also the founder of Public Education. Charles Darwin was also born in that year. In the US, the 16th American president, Lincoln, was born. Now today, when we look at 1809, none of us remember the headlines of that day. But now today, our lives are still being impacted by those people born in that year. See, my point is, often we are so caught up with the headlines of what's happening before us, the crisis, but we fail to see the bigger picture. The year Christ was born, what were the headlines? The Roman wars, Herod the Great expanding the second temple. And you go, huh? What's that? We don't know, but, you know, today, our lives are still being influenced by the birth of Christ. What are the headlines today? The pandemic, right? Now China is opening up, we are worried, you know, is there a new variant coming? Recession, we are told that this year we may face a severe recession, are you prepared for it? Hyperinflation. Everywhere we go, people are telling us, wow, things are very expensive. And life is tough. Of course, uh, geopolitical tensions, right? Tensions between US and China, China and Taiwan. We wonder, will there be war? And then we look at the Ukraine war. It's been almost a year. Unbelievable. Of course, we have disruption to the global supply chain. What is that? Uh, a simple example is uh, Malaysia didn't sell us live chickens. Now, I don't know if they have began to sell live chickens. But you know since then, I haven't eaten chicken rice. So it's not just about the events. It's about the psychological impact on us. The uncertainties we face, the fears, the concerns. And I think they're legitimate. Concern about our families, our work, our lives. But we need to take a step back to see the bigger picture. Especially as Christians, if we believe God is sovereign over history, May I ask, what is he doing? So that's the question we would like to think about today and for the next few months. God is unfolding his redemptive plan, and his entire plan from creation to Christ is about Christ and from Christ to recreation. What's that? We'll come for our journey onward, okay? We will tell you what it means from creation to Christ and Christ to recreation. How does the story of God impact our story? the greatest love story ever told. The Apostle Paul in Colossians one to 24-29 tells us the one purpose of his life is to proclaim Christ. So today, as we look at Colossians 1, 24-29, we'll see how we proclaim Christ with our lives, with our message, and that is our purpose. We proclaim Him through our lives, how we respond to challenges. Secondly, that is our message. And thirdly, that is the whole purpose of life. We proclaim Him. Verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I do share on behalf of His body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We're saying, if we follow God, how, why would a good God allow me to suffer? Now you know when you make that statement, we are evaluating an unlimited God from a limited point of view. Why can't God use sufferings for us to be a witness for Him? In fact, Paul says, by that, how we respond to suffering, we're filling up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. What is Christ's uh, suffering lacking? Nothing. When Christ died on the cross, He paid the price for all our sins. Nothing is lacking. What is lacking is this, is that People cannot see Christ, but they can see our lives. Today, they can look at our lives and how we respond to suffering and that is how we witness for Christ. That is how we proclaim Christ. And so if you look at the early church fathers, martyrs, the word martyrs in Greek is to witness. But because those people witness witnessed for Christ all end up dying eventually, you know, when they translated to English, martyrs became dying for Christ. Matthew was killed by a sword. Mark was dragged through the village on, by horses until he died. Luke was in Greece. There was great response to the gospel and he was hung. John was supposed to be boiled in a, a pot of oil but he escaped. Eventually, he was exiled to Patmos Island and he's the only one on this list that died at an old age peacefully. And then we have Peter who was crucified on the X cross. He requested to be Crucified, inverted, because he says, I do not deserve to die in the same way as my Saviour. James, the leader of the church, was thrown down from a high point and when he, was, he didn't die, they, he was clapped to death. Jude was in Asia and he was shot by arrows. James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, he was beheaded in Rome. You know, the Roman war- the prison warden walked him to the execution uh, place and when James was beheaded, he was told that the warden knelt down and declared his faith in Christ and he was beheaded also because he was so impressed with James' life. Bartholomew was fled to death. Andrew was crucified. And when he was crucified, he says, I have been waiting for this moment for a long time. When Christ died on the cross, he consecrated the cross. Thomas was in India, establishing churches when he was stepped to death. Matthias, who replaced Judas, was stoned, and eventually Paul was beheaded. Now when you look at this, people, what do we learn? Sometimes people say, you know, the gospel narratives are not reliable. You know, the founders made up the story. Do you think they will make up these stories? And so a Christian historian said, con men do not die for stories they contrive. What we have in the gospels, they are Reliable. From a historical perspective, how we evaluate historical facts from the lives of those who testified about what happened. And so we saw that these men, because of how they responded to afflictions, they proclaimed Christ. And that is what Paul means by filling up what was lacking in Christ's affliction. Nothing was lacking. His death paid for our, all our sins. But what is lacking is testimony. So friends, how are we responding to the crisis of our life and of our times? The pandemic, the recession, there are fears and uncertainties in 2023 for sure, but how do we respond? Do we respond like people who do not have hope? Or do we respond like people who believe in a God who is sovereign and good? We proclaim Him by our lives, by how we respond to challenges. And that is also our message. Verse 25, he said, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed to me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. Paul says, This, the preaching of the word, is what my purpose is, what God gave me, the stewardship. The word fully carry out has the same root word as fill up his affliction. Verse 24, fill up his affliction, right? We proclaim Christ by how we respond to suffering, to bring it, to fulfill it. Here he says, is by the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word, which is this mystery. What is this mystery? A mystery in the Old Testament but now in the New Testament has been manifested, has been revealed. To whom God willed to make known what is the richest of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is this mystery among the Gentiles? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know in the Old Testament, if you want to know God, you need to convert into Judaism. Circumcision, observe the law, go to Jerusalem to worship God and yet, Gentiles means non-Jewish people are still second class. By the new covenant, Gentiles and Jews are equal. Why? Well, because of Christ. Because God came into this world incarnated as a human being to die for our sins. And that is how we are accepted by a perfect God. You know, Dorothy Sayers is a well-known uh, novelist, mystery novelist. She was one of the first women who graduated from Oxford. And she was known for her book on this detective called Peter Wimsey. Peter is good-looking, intelligent, and his life is he's a detective who solves puzzles. Later in the later series, suddenly there was a new character, a woman, called Harriet Vane. And Harriet shares a lot of similarities with the author, Dorothy Sayers. In the story, Harriet is also the first few women who graduated from Oxford and she is also a novelist, a mystery novelist. Of course, Harriet and Peter fell in love, got married and lived happily ever after. You know, uh, observers of Dorothy Sayers realised that she fell in love with her own character. She saw that Peter was lonely and she wrote herself into the story as Harriet Vane to rescue him. It's also romantic, right? Why do we like romance? Why do we like happily e- stories of happily ever after? You know, God looked at His creation and when He saw us, He saw our loneliness, our brokenness, and He wrote Himself into our story to rescue us so that we may live happily ever after. That is the greatest love story ever told. And that involves our story. God coming into this world. And Paul says that is our message to proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ. For this was what God had done for us. The question is, how do we proclaim Him? It's not just with our mouths, you know. Paul says with wisdom. It's how we, how do we live our lives? I mean, if people look at our lives, do we Testify for Christ. We proclaim Christ. There was this college student. He was wrestling about life's questions and eventually accepted Christ. He wanted to go to church, but he didn't know which church to go. So the only church was the one across the street. It was a conservative church. So Sunday morning, he turned up at worship. Worship had already begun. You know, being a college kid, uh, his jeans and his his clothes were torn and tattered. He had long hair, unkempt. And he turned out, uh, he was walking barefooted. So he came to the sanctuary, the worship was going on, and it was full house, no seats. So he walked slowly towards the front looking for seats, but there were no seats. Eventually he got to the front row and he sat on the floor. Now, Can you imagine the tension in the church? Especially they noticed this 80-year-old deacon coming from the back. He was an elderly, dignified gentleman dressed in suit and tie and even had a pocket watch. The whole church was... Silent. All they could hear was his cane. Click, click, click. You know, even the pastor couldn't start preaching You know, until, until the, the, the deacon finished walking. What would he do? Would he chase the young man out? You know, people were thinking, and uh, even if he did, it's understandable, right? There was such a huge generation gap. Eventually, the elderly gentleman got to the front, dropped his cane, and struggled to sit down beside the student, so that he will not be alone for worship. That is what Christ did for us. The question is, how, how do we proclaim Him? When people look at our lives, what do they see? In our families, you know, are you willing to seek reconciliation? Are you willing to forgive relationships? At work, do we do our best? or Are we always gossiping? And when people look at us and say, oh, this person, every time talk about prayer and Bible study, but you know, the way they lead their lives, Just like my ex-boss, many, many years ago, this one, right? She always had Bible study every Wednesday and then every Monday during our staff meeting, she would throw F-words at us, you know? How do we lead our lives to proclaim Christ? What do people see of us? Paul says, we proclaim Christ through how we respond to the sufferings of our lives, the challenges, the crises, the headlines. He says that is our message. We proclaim it not with just our mouths, but with our lives. Finally, he tells us that is the goal of life. To form Christ in ourselves and in others. Paul summarizes the above. He says, we proclaim Him. How? Admonishing every man and teaching every person with all wisdom. He says, do it with wisdom. Wisdom. It's not that the first thing you see a person, you ask him, you know, after you die, where do you go? We need wisdom, okay? Wisdom, to use different ways to share Christ, to admonish, means to cause people to turn around effectively in their hearts and attitudes, to repent, to turn to Christ. Teaching, it means doctrine, intellectual, to understand who they are believing in. So sometimes you say, we share the gospel, we just talk about God's love and how God wants to bless us. That is good but that will only produce shallow Christians They will easily misled or when we face challenges, we don't know what to do. On the other hand, he says, teaching, intellectual, you must know what you're believing in. We love God with all our hearts, all our souls and all our minds. We can only love God as far as we understand. And so, it's not just one or the other, but both. Admonishing teaching with all wisdom. Why? What's the purpose? So that, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. The word complete has a similar root word as preaching the word fully, verse 25, and fulfilling Christ's, the lack of Christ's affliction in verse 24. These three words, they are linked. Paul is saying, by how we respond to challenges, we fulfill the gospel by, by, by testifying. By sharing the faith, we fulfil it, bring it to fulfilment because now we understand in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are equal, completed. And His whole purpose is to cause people to grow in Christ. Himself, for Himself and for others. Says, for this purpose, I labour, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. And then, oh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. It says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in year. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ Himself. He goes on to say all everything that He does. He travels, He visits, He shares the gospel, He debates, He heals, He prays. Why? Well, so that He may form Christ He pursues Christ-likeness and causes others to be like Christ. And so, in other passages, Paul tells us, he says, you also become imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul says, imitate us, be like me. Why? Because I'm like Christ. His life purpose is to become Christ-like. What is God's will? He said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, growing in holiness, becoming Christ-like. And this is also what God is doing. Romans 8, all things work for the good of those who love you, right? Of those who love God. You know, all the good things. It's not just God give us all the good things. He specifies. Verse 29: for those he foreknew, what is the good which is, what is the good thing that God is doing? Predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, to be Christ like. For those he predestined, he called those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So it's not only Paul's purpose, it is what God is doing that we become Christ-like. Finally, Galatians 4, it says, My children with whom again I labour until Christ is formed in you. Paul only has one purpose, to grow to be like Christ and to cause Christ to be formed in others. What is your purpose? We face all these headlines of our day, the pandemic, the political tensions, the challenges. But God is only doing one thing. Paul is only doing one thing. question is, what are you doing? C.S. Lewis, he says, may I come back to what I said before? This is the whole of Christianity and there's nothing else. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself is simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It says in the Bible that the whole universe was made for Christ and that everything is to be gathered together in Him. What is your purpose? You know, Michelangelo, he became famous when he was very young because he carved that, you know, Madonna carrying the crucified son and of course the statue of David, right? We all remember because he's naked. He carved it out of a 16-foot-long abandoned marble. Eventually, the Pope asked him to paint on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. The Pope called him a genius. But you know, he was a tragic genius. He was rich but miserly. He had a disdain for people. He hated women. He um, was filled with envy and jealous. Apparently, he seldom changed his clothes and he didn't take a bath in his life. Okay, this is what I read. Okay, I, I don't know whether it's true. And the Pope called him a genius by an alarming person, very hard to live with. You know, but towards the end of his life, Michelangelo began thinking back about the sermons he heard uh, at a young age. At a young age, as between his leisurely time, painting and carving, he would go to go his local church and hear Savonala preached. And Savonala eventually became a martyr for Christ. And towards the end of his life, his thoughts began to turn towards the Christ that he has painted all his life. And I think, you know, his story is like our story. We may not be as like a genius like him, you know. Of course, we may not be as awful as him also. But isn't that our story? A a lifelong of a work in progress of growing in Christ-likeness. He may be an alarming and terrifying person, but as he grew, he understood the need to grow like Christ. His thoughts turned towards his Saviour. And this is what Paul is saying, forming Christ in us and others. And we understand the redemptive story of God for all of history. God is only doing one thing. There's unveiling Christ. The whole of Paul's life, he has one purpose, forming Christ in himself and in others. And so we ask ourselves, in your busyness, working, earning money, taking care of our families, raising kids, studying, what is your ultimate purpose? Are we caught up with the headlines of our times or do we see the bigger picture of what God is doing? And if God is only doing one thing, what is the one thing you're doing in your life. In 2023, our goal is to proclaim Christ. And sometimes, we think about this, Christ. Is it still relevant? There are people who say that, you know, the, the Bible is 2,000 years old. How is it still relevant today? I'm reading this book of how, titled How Christianity Changed the World. It's a thick book, but the author said this in one, one short paragraph. He says, In the ancient world, His teachings, Christ's teachings, elevated brutish standards of morality, halted infanticide, enhanced human life, emancipated women, abolished slavery, inspired charities and relief organizations, created hospitals, established orphanages and founded schools. In the medieval times, Christianity almost single-handedly kept classical culture alive through recopying manuscripts, building libraries and moderating warfare was Christians who invested in colleges, dignified labour as divine vocation, and extended civilization to barbarians on the frontiers. In the modern era, Christian teachings properly expressed advanced science, instilled concepts of political and social and economic freedom, fostered justice, and provided the greatest single source of inspiration for the magnificent achievements in arts, architecture, music, and literature that we treasure today. We may not believe Jesus or agree with Him, but we cannot deny the positive influence of His teaching and the church on human history. The gospel that we bear, that we have, has been passed down through the ages by saints who gave their lives for Christ, who lived their lives to proclaim Christ. Why do we do this? Because of God's love for us. And Christ entered into his creation to die on the cross for us who are undeserving. That is the greatest love story ever told. He died in our place so that we may have life that we don 't deserve. There was a doctor called Dr. Christensen. He was teaching theology in a liberal arts college, and all the freshmen have to take his class, so you can imagine most of the people were not interested, except one called Steve Steve uh, was respond- knew that he was going to full time ministry so he took the class seriously. Steve was a popular student, a popular person among the students. And he was also an athlete. You know, he, had, he was well-built. So one day, the professor called him. He said, Steve, can you do push-ups? He said, sure, I do 200 a day. He says, can you do 300? I've never done it before. How about 300 sets of 10? And Steve said, I think I can do that. So the professor said, okay, this Friday is the last class of the the semester. Make sure you turn up. So that day he was early. In fact, he sat in the front row. The professor bought a box of donuts. And the students were thinking, wow, you know, we're having a party. The last day of school. So he took up the first donut and he asked the first student, Adam, do you want a donut? Sure. So he said, Steve, can you do 10 push-ups for Adam's donut? So he did. And everybody giggled. The second one, Cynthia, would you like a donut? Yes, another 10 push-ups. And he went down the line. He was doing push-ups. Came to this person called Scott, who was a basketball player. Scott said, I want to do my own push-ups. The professor says, you're not qualified. Steve, do it for him. And so he says, then I don't want. He said, it's okay. Steve, do the push-ups. If you don't want the donuts, you can leave it on your desk. So everybody was upset. The Professor said, my party, my rules. Next person, no. Steve did another 10 push-ups. Next person, I don't want. Steve did another 10 push-ups. And he got to the second last student, and the professor was worried. Because Steve was sweating all over, you know, and in front on the floor in front of him, there's a pool of sweat, and he was really struggling with his push-ups. Professor asked the second last student, he says, Sid, say, Linda, would you like a donut? And she was tearing, she says, No. You know, the whole atmosphere changed from being indignant, upset, to compassion and tears. And Steve struggled to do the 10 push-ups. Came to the last student. Asked, Susan, would you like your donut? And she cried. She says, Prof, why can't I do my own push-ups? He says, because when I opened your grade books, all of you either failed a class, skipped a class, or gave inferior work. Only Steve had a perfect, score. And so I made a deal with him. Because only he he can come to my party. And so I made a deal with him. I said, you know, if you want your classmates to come, you pay the price. And he agreed. Then He asked Steve to do the push-ups. You know, and eventually Steve finished and he collapsed. And then the professor said, I know most of you are disinterested in my class, but I don't want you to ever forget The height, the depth, the breadth, the length of the love of Christ. 2,000 years ago, Christ died upon the cross and gave us this gift. And you would reject it or leave it at the table. Don't you think it's foolish and even ungrateful? You know, friends, when Christ came into this world, He came to die on our behalf, to give us the gospel, to write the, our life story. The question is would we give Him the right to write those stories? And we do it so that we may proclaim. Christ with our lives, through how we respond to challenges, through our message, and be that the purpose of our life. I shared in the pastor's voice, right? This verse was my year, verse of the year for 2015. You know, and I realized after, and I look back, right? Actually, most of the time, if I didn't make that resolution, I probably wouldn't have shared. Last night, I also shared that the last person that I led to Christ that year. Was in the bazaar, you know, I was about to go home punk kong ready. Everybody packed up. And I saw this new friend sitting there. I was thinking, oh, I'm so tired, I should just slip out by the side gate. Then I remember, oh you no, know, I told God I won't bring people to Christ. So I sat down and shared with him, and the person accepted Christ. And so even though that year only 15 people, I didn't hit my KPI, but you know, to me, the 15 people are still 15 souls whose lives were changed for eternity because of the love of Christ. And the point is. We need to be intentional. And even if we forget your resolution, you know, God remembers. He brings it back to our minds. And so will we consecrate 2023 to proclaim Christ? You know, last year I had a friend. He was asked to let go of all his, his whole department and then he was let go of himself. And he's at an age and a level that's a bit hard to find jobs. So he struggled because he's a sole breadwinner in his life, uh, in his family. So I'll meet him regularly, you know, makan and just keep him company. So one day he told me, he said, I'm sick of this life, you know, every day, I don't know do what. I need to be intentional. He said, since I am a Christian for so long, surely God has something good in store. So he prayed. He decided every morning he's going to get up, read the Bible, pray, and go for a walk instead of lazing around till afternoon time. So he prayed. He said, God, use this time, you know, for your glory. So he was walking in Upper Pierce Reservoir and it was raining one day. He went to this shelter and there were three people in there, a couple and an older lady, about 70 years old. He says, the wife suddenly said to her husband, you know, Christians don't like Jews, you know. You know why? Because the Jews killed Jesus. And then they always have conflicts with Muslims. So my friend says, "Uh, excuse me, I'm a Christian. Can I share with you a different point of view? And she looked at him, she got upset. She says, you are Chinese. Why do you accept Jesus? You know, you're so close-minded. So my friend says, you know, to be open-minded, maybe we should listen to another perspective. And she was upset. She says, no. And she dragged her husband and walked out into the rain. So he says, left me and that lady, you know, so awkward. So he didn't know what to do, you know, and suddenly the, the, the other lady said, tell me about it. He turned around and said, what? She says, everything about Jesus. So he shared the gospel. He asked, can I pray for you? And when he said that, she started to tear up. She told him, you know, she said she's a very successful person, built her own business from ground up, And recently, she has a recurrence of cancer. So she's been thinking about life. And she says, I have this friend from Nanyang High, Girls High, for the last 50 and 60 years, has been telling me about Jesus. Every now and then, she'll invite me to church. She'll text me messages, especially when she found out that I have cancer. Every day, she prays for me. And she asks, why does Christians pray? So my friend explained to her, and then he asked her, do you want to accept Christ? And she, she agreed. You know, in that rain, in that shelter, she accepted Christ. And he told her, you better tell your friend. Now how did this lady come to Christ? Well, because a stranger was intentional about proclaiming Christ. Because a friend, for the last 50, 60 years, has been showing her proclaiming Christ through her life, through her concerns, through her text messages, through her prayers. And I think we can become one of these people we can tell god be the stranger to proclaim christ we can be the friend who t- texts a message or invite someone to church or to show concern if god is only doing one thing throughout history from creation to christ from christ to recreation if paul's sole purpose in life is to be christ like and to form christ friends what is your purpose Let us pray. As the worship team leads us, let us consecrate 2023 to the Lord. If there's anyone in our midst who is not a believer or online, I urge you to come, to place your faith in Christ, to tell Jesus that you need Him, that you know that you are a sinner and you want to turn to Him. For us, you know, let us who have been following Christ for a long time, let us consecrate 2023 to the Lord. May this year be a year that we tell the greatest love story ever told.